Mr. Colombo, are you a boss of the mafia? No, I am not. Is there a mafia? No, there is not. Works notorious Gambino crime family. The Lucchese crime family. The alleged boss of the Bonanno crime family. Colombo crime family. The Genovese crime family is the Ivy League of, of the five families. There's nothing beats being a mafia boss. It's uh, better than being a Hollywood star. You are listening to This Day in the Mob. As always, I'm your host, John Curran. Today is July 1st, 2022. Let's go way, way back to this very day, 94 years ago, and see what happened on This Day in the Mob. The slain gangster's funeral was stuff of legends. 13 flower cars followed the hearse as they reported 250 Cadillacs carrying the mourners followed them. The gangster was laid out on a $15,000 silver coffin perched upon a podium so his subjects on the streets of his beloved Brooklyn could bid the mafioso farewell. The people of his neighborhood loved the sharp dresser for his generosity. The mourners both his blood family and his, you know, other family, were grief-stricken. Ever since this day, July 1st, 1928, when their beloved gangster, Frankie Yale, was machine-gunned to death in his own car. Francesco Ioli was born in 1893 and immigrated to the borough of Brooklyn from his native Calabria, Italy, in 1900. Ioli is more commonly known as Frankie Yale. The gangster wanted to Americanize his name, so that's how we'll refer to him for the rest of this episode. As a teen, Yale was befriended by racketeer Johnny Torrio, and his new friend would get him involved in the legendary Five Points Gang of New York. Yale was known as a fearsome fistfighter and thief. He was first arrested at the age of 19 on suspicion of homicide after beating a man so badly in a fight in a bar that he succumbed to his injuries. Torrio quickly groomed his protege for a life of crime. And he would stress the importance of business over ego, a lesson that many gangsters could have used. Yale would quickly involve himself in the protection rackets and eventually saved up enough money to open a bar, which he ironically named the Harvard Inn. And it was at the Harvard Inn that Yale would hire a young bartender named Alphonse Capone. And it was also here that that man would earn the nickname he is much better known as, Scarface. Yale's young protege Capone was slashed in the face by a fellow gangster named Frank Galluccio. The hot-headed Capone had apparently insulted Galluccio's sister, and this is the genesis of the name Capone would come to despise. After two years of working for Yale, both legitimately and in his crime rackets, Yale shipped Capone off to his mentor, Johnny Torrio, and the two would take on Chicago. Yale formed a version of a mob family employing mafiosos from all regions of Italy, which at the time was quite unique. The Sicilians would usually clan up with the Sicilians, the Napolitans with the Napolitans, 
the Calabrese, the Calabrese, and et cetera, et cetera. But Yale saw the importance of business over some childish bravado of which region was superior. Yale's new gang would participate in extortion by forcing businesses and people to pay them for their protection. They would also run a few brothels. Yale, like most gangsters, also had legitimate businesses, including a cigar cigar company that bore his smiling face as their logo. He also claimed to be an undertaker by trade and owned a funeral parlor, which was right across the street from his house. But his biggest profit center, legal or illegal, was by far bootlegging. And this racket would really, really propel Yale from small-time hood to powerful and wealthy gangster. He and his gang were very early in the racket and rose to be one of the biggest bootlegging outfits in New York. Not long after Prohibition had passed, he heard from his old friends Johnny Torrio and Al Capone. They had a problem with their boss in Chicago. Big Jim Colosimo, the boss, was the head of the rackets in the Windy City and forbade his young gangsters and his crew from bootlegging. Torrio and Capone saw that bootlegging was the future, and it would bring a massive, massive fortune like they've never seen. But Big Jim wouldn't budge. So they decided to call on their old friend in New York to take him out. It's not that Capone wasn't capable of taking Colosimo out. We all know his reputation for violence. But with a hit as sensitive as taking out a boss, mobsters tend to use an outside shooter from a different family to distance themselves as much as possible. Frankie Yale took the train to Chicago. The gangster had always been about one thing, business. And the boss in Chicago was standing in the way of big profits for Torrio, Capone, and Yale. Quickly and efficiently, Yale shot and executed Big Jim Colosimo. Now, the feared killer was also the target of many assassination attempts himself. While dueling with other gangs and mobsters in New York for control of the rackets, Yale would survive four attempted mob rubouts. Now bootlegging kingpins, Capone and Torrio often did business with Frankie Yale buying truckloads of whiskey through him. Now in the mob, newfound riches usually comes with new rivals. Capone and Torrio had a vicious and violent war with Northside Chicago gangster Dean O'Banion. And being so impressed with Frankie Yale's work on the big gym hit, the two would hire him to take O'Banion out, and he would do just that. After the hit, While attempting to board a train back to New York, Frankie Yale was arrested and questioned heavily, but he had a prepared alibi and the cops, not able to disprove it, had to let him go. It was back to business for Capone and Frankie Yale. As we mentioned above, Yale was selling truckloads of whiskey to Capone in Chicago and would guarantee their protection from hijackers while traveling through New York. However, Capone's trucks recently were getting hijacked and stolen more and more. Capone quickly suspected a double cross, and he would get a mole in Yale's organization to confirm this. 
Yale was stealing Capone's whiskey, pretending it was hijacked, and then reselling it himself. The mole was a man named James D'Amato, and he was found out, and when he figured out that Yale knew he was a mole, he decided to strike first. He would attempt to shoot Yale, but failed miserably. The mole was found shot to death eight days later. Capone would try to smooth things over with his old mentor and friend and decided to invite Yale to Chicago for a Jack Dempsey fight at Soldier Field. The plan, however, did not work and it became clear to Capone that him and Yale could not do business together and Yale would have to go. And that brings us to this very day, July 1st, 1928. Yale, while in his bar, would receive an ominous phone call saying there was a problem with his wife and young child. The gangster rushed out of the bar, refusing the offer for a ride from one of his men. And this proved to maybe be a fatal mistake. As Yale sped off in his supposedly bulletproof Lincoln, he didn't notice, perhaps in his panic, the Cadillac that was following him. While overtaken by the Cadillac, Frank was ambushed with heavy fire from pistols, a shotgun, and a Thompson submachine gun. He was riddled with bullets. The man who bulletproofed Yale's car didn't bulletproof the windows, and it ultimately caused the gangster's death. The man who had killed so many before, including a pair of bosses, the man who escaped four previous attempts on his life, was not so lucky on the fifth. I'm John Curran. Thank you for listening. As always, tune in tomorrow, July 2nd, and find out what happened on that day in the mob.